I remember getting together with my extended family for a holiday many, many years ago, shortly after Pastor Seth and I were ordained. I believe it was Thanksgiving. We all gathered, my parents, sister, grandmother, aunts, uncles, cousins, plus all of their significant others, and we were settling in and finding our seats. There was a moment of hesitation as people looked around to determine who would pray before we ate. And finally, my aunt said, make one of the professional Christians pray. <laughs> Referring to me and Seth, everyone nodded enthusiastically. All of my life, up until that moment, every other person in that room seemed to know how to pray over a meal. Although we did not have any other clergy in our extended family, every single one of us, young or old, could have successfully blessed a turkey dinner. But suddenly, when two of us were ordained, Everyone else seemed to forget how to do so. Have the professionals do it, he said. Not long before that, we had been in seminary classes that repeatedly talked about the importance of what was referred to as empowering the laity for ministry. Perhaps it should better be referred to as stop trying to limit congregants in their ministry since every person has a God-given ability to care for this world. And in our seminary classes, we also poured over a central idea of Protestant churches, the priesthood of all believers, affirming that each and every one of us can talk directly to God. We do not need an intermediary. And each of one of us can pray for and care for and minister to each other as well. So the very last thing that we wanted to do was to get in the way of the ability of all of my family members to pray. Now to be fair, my aunt was mostly joking. And honestly, that's the kind of joking that I absolutely love. But all these years later, I do still remember it. The disciples had left everything to follow Jesus. They all had previous careers, and they left them behind to take on a second career, a new profession. They could not have been called professional Christians simply because the term Christian did not come into use until much later in history. Maybe we can think of them as professional Jesus followers. They listened to Jesus' teachings, watched as he healed. They followed his schedule and learned his patterns in life, including his commitment to withdrawing for times of prayer. They had studied and absorbed so much of Jesus' way. And after all of that, they asked Jesus 
In one of the most honest and vulnerable and sincere requests, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Words that we could all say. When we find ourselves unsure of what to say at a loss for words, teach us to pray. When we are overcome by beauty, left speechless, teach us to pray. Immerse us in the language that draws us into connection with the one who is greater than ourselves. When we are praying for ourselves, for others, for the world, Jesus, teach us to pray. Guide us in language acquisition. Surround us in the communication that draws us to the divine. Jesus had a wonderful prayer book. 150 beautiful expressions calling out to God. They were personal, intimate, private, and also shared, public, communal. Jesus' prayer book was the book of Psalms, that collection of prayers at the heart of the Hebrew Bible. Over and over in Jesus' life and teaching, he drew from the Psalms and quoted them for others. The Psalter is an ancient collection with the date of composition varying from psalm to psalm. Some of them are among the oldest recorded poems in the world. And psalms were collected into a group through a very long and complex process. But it is generally believed that by the time of the Second Temple period, beginning near the turn of the 6th to 5th century BCE, the Psalms had come to hold a central role in the life of the worshiping community as the hymn book of worship. The Psalms were sung. And you may have noticed that many of them include musical instructions. The Psalms give voice to a wide range of emotions and experiences. They express joy and gratitude, longing and pleading. They marvel at the wonder of creation and put words to the atrocities of injustice. They ask searching questions. They describe the beauty of human life and offer to God praise and exaltation. So many experiences are described within their pages. Over the years, I've heard myself say on many occasions, if one is going through an intense experience, pray through the Psalms and keep going until you eventually hear words that speak to your own situation. John Calvin put it this way, I have been accustomed to call this book, the Psalms, I think not inappropriately, 
and anatomy of the soul. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. There are many different types of psalms, expanding their reach in expressions for the experiences of the full community of faith. Examples of some of the different types of psalms include psalms of praise, such as Psalm 100, Other psalms cry out for help, such as Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Some psalms marvel at the beauty of the earth, such as Psalm 19. Some psalms of lament ask deep and searching questions, such as Psalm 22. There are royal psalms and songs of Zion. There are imprecatory psalms which express rage against enemies. And there are psalms that affirm the covenant. There are expressions of thanksgiving such as in Psalm 9. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And wisdom psalms, such as 112. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. All of these psalms, and so many more, have formed part of the vocabulary of the people of faith for generations. The Psalms belong to the people, all of the people. So much so that through the generations, many people have memorized Psalms. Once a piece of poetry is embedded in your heart or your mind, it cannot be taken from you. It is yours to access whenever you want to. Frequently, when we lead a funeral here, we include Psalm 23. And just by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, so many voices join in without looking for words, because that psalm resides in, within many of us. Jesus and his contemporaries would have had a vast storehouse of memorized scripture, much more than many of us do today. When Jesus quoted the psalms, he didn't have to first look them up. He had free access to them, drawing them from his own heart and mind. 
Jesus did not need to ask anyone to read Psalm 22 to him on the cross. He already knew it. And in the Gospel of Luke, we hear that Jesus died with the words of Psalm 31 on his lips. Into your hands I commend my spirit. Since many of his friends, all of his followers virtually, would have had those psalms memorized as well, referencing a few lines from one psalm might evoke the sentiment of the whole psalm, which could have encompassed many, many different thoughts. When the whole community has something memorized, just the mentioning the first part of that text causes us to fill in the rest. If I say, amazing grace, how sweet the... We know what comes next. We know the sense of the whole song. One of the various literary devices that's used in the Psalms is parallelism. If you have ever felt that as you're reading a psalm, it seemed to repeat itself, that was not an accident. It was intentional. So many of the psalms include this style that makes one statement and then reiterates the same idea from a slightly different perspective. That second statement both underscores and sharpens the heart of the message of the first line while also expanding and widening the thought. One perspective, a second perspective. And one way that this style has been highlighted in worship over the generations is through antiphonal singing. With one person or group singing a line, then answered by another person or group. The antiphonal singing of psalms took place both in ancient Hebrew worship as well as early Christian liturgies. Alternating choirs would sing half lines of psalms. And Pastor Amos and Carrie have agreed to lead us in, exam in an example of this type of use of a psalm. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, O oh Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. If you care to, you can join us. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore
restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me amen amen although that particular tune was written in the past 40 to 50 years or so and might be familiar to many of you. This type of antiphonal singing can employ a variety of musical styles, but it's always marked by that responsive singing between two people or two groups. The Psalms come to us giving words to many different experiences and emotions that we might have. Through the use of different types of psalms or saying the same thing from different vantage points, we see so many of our life experiences reflected in the psalms. In all of these ways, they reach out to us and meet us in our own situations, giving word to our experiences. But in opening that door, they also allow us to step into their perspective a bit, get a glimpse into their worldview. They take us beyond ourselves to the greater, wider, larger circle of those who call on God's name. When we are immersed in the Psalms, we find that they expand the breadth and depth of our concerns. When we are saturated in these poems, songs, prayers, we begin to expand our range of vision. Back to Psalm 51. And whatever you may have written or reflected on in that piece of paper yourself, however that psalm might speak to you, Psalm 51, this psalm of repentance, psalm of transformation. The gift of repentance is that it opens and frees and transforms. The vast tradition of prophets of old called out for repentance not to simply cast blame, but to invite transformation. The goal of repentance has always been a transformed and renewed life. This is the heart of Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And as an aside, that Hebrew word that's used there for create is only used in the Old Testament with God as the subject. God alone is the one who can do this type of creating, giving us a new heart, a new life. This psalm invites us to be open to the new, all that is ahead, the restoration that comes to us from God, the transformation of the Spirit. 
It calls us to our own 40 days journey to explore the grace of God. So that is our hope this Lenten season. As we follow Jesus and listen to the Psalms together in these 40 days. Thank God that we can walk this journey together, following Jesus, exploring the Psalms, opening ourselves to the transforming love of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.